Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes, episode 31. My name is Jared. I'm here with my friend Stephen. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well today. How are you doing today, my friend? Hey, I'm just lucky to be here. Uh, so today, uh, we were kind of talking before we got rolling here about how this is really kind of the NFL's moratorium. Uh, we're in the afterglow of the Super Bowl, of course, uh, but really, uh, there's not a lot going on in the NFL. Uh, until the end of the month, right? Uh, and then we, we were talking about here, uh, the NFL Combine uh, here in Indianapolis, by the way. So to all of you, uh, not only potential advertisers, hit us up. Um, but to those of those companies that will, will need people on the ground at the Combine, I live in Indianapolis. I can be paid. Uh I'm interested in football. Let's dance. Uh, but yeah, so here it being February 5th, there's not really much going on uh, visibly until February uh, 27th when the combine attendees actually take the field. So um, I guess that's a good place to start there. Uh, let's talk about the Super Bowl first. Then we'll talk about the schedule for the combine and that's really all we need to say at this point hey this is when the combine is it's kind of what that schedule looks like and then really want to kind of stay off of it for a couple weeks because in a couple weeks we'll want to talk about it right uh but for right now we'll kind of talk about the super bowl uh today of course we want to like i said we'll give you that little lead into the combine then we want to talk about free agents uh, and we want to talk about uh, people we'd like to resign or extend. Um, and obviously, uh, we're all kind of hoping for some fireworks, whether it's the draft or in free agency. Uh, much like we saw in the NBA today, I was telling Stephen before we got started here, uh, the, NF- the NBA just executed a 12-team trade, uh, or if it was a four-team trade, 12-player uh, several draft picks, um, not not quite a top-heavy shakeup, I wouldn't call it, uh, but a shakeup nonetheless. Uh, in the NBA, is the biggest trade since 2000. Uh, so of course, I, I would like to see a big a big trade go off in the in the NFL as well, or or just a bunch of big trades. That'd be great. Uh, and I think we can have a pretty good conversation about all the potential quarterbacks that could be moving this off-season. Um, in in addition to maybe other guys that we've seen that are free agents, that would be nice pickups for the Colts. Um, but yeah, so so coming off Super Bowl Sunday, 
played in, in beautiful Miami, Florida. Um, the Chiefs beat the 49ers 31-20. to What are you thinking? Yeah, I just thought I thought it was a fantastic game. Um, sorry for the delay in there, I'm trying to hit the mute button. I got big fingers. Um, so I thought it was a just a fantastic game. Um, probably one of the best we've had in, in recent memory. Um, mm-hmm. One, because New England wasn't there, um, and two, just because the teams were were really well, um, really evenly matched, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was. It was kind of a, a really cool, cool situation. So yeah, it was. You know, you you had. It's what what we talked about. Like we've talked about this for literally two weeks now about Kansas City, and I've said over and over again that Chris Jones is going to make the difference in this game. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, defended my position on Twitter because people will sit there and say, "Oh yeah, how would how does a defense have tackle, you know, make any difference in the game?" And I'm like, well, because he limits, you know, San Francisco's ability to run the ball. He can get interior pressure, um, which is the worst kind of pressure for any quarterback that's not super mobile, like, mm-hmm. for instance, Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. Um, and so it's one of those one of those things where, you know, it's nice to be right. Uh, we, we both I believe we both picked the Chiefs to win this game. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where. It was just a great game. Um, you, know, you started off, and it was a, a bit of a defensive struggle. And then it, I, I think probably the most surprising thing for me within the game itself was San Francisco at the end of the first half with three timeouts, not trying to push it and get a field goal and not try to score um, there before the end of the half because – San Francisco goes up at that point, 13 to 10, and then say the the rest of the half play, the rest of the second half plays out as it did. Um, you're looking at a completely different way you're playing that game if you're San Francisco, being down 23-24 versus being down 24-20. Um, and so yeah, it, it, it was again, it was just a great game, mm-hmm. and, and you got to see. Patrick Mahomes, be magical. San Francisco's defense, uh, that that defensive line is so good, and they should be because they have, I think all four of them are first round picks, like yep. high first round picks, like top ten first round picks. Um, and so you expected them to to really kind of put pressure. Uh, I thought the the officials in this game were great, um, in, in that they let them play. Uh, I don't believe there was a holding call at all um, on either team. Um, there, there was a questionable missed call where I think it was one of the Kansas City uh, defensive linemen were, were offsides. It looks like they either timed the snap perfectly or were offsides late in the in the game that would have given San Francisco a shorter third down right. uh, opportunity. Um, but at that point, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, it just goes to how well coached these teams are, um, the, the great players that they've got. We all kind of knew San Francisco would run the ball and, and try to control the ball on the ground, and that's pretty much what they did. Once they, they put it in Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo's hands, he, he made some great plays, but 
his three misses were in the biggest moments of the game. Right. And, and that's the toughest part. And that's why we've said you, you have to have a quarterback if you really want to win the Super Bowl. Like, you can build up a great team, but you're limited. Um, and so Chris Ballard, for example, can build this fantastic team. Um, but if you don't have a quarterback that can win you a game, not a quarterback that won't lose you a game, but a quarterback that can win you a game, you're really putting yourself behind the eight ball. Um, and Kansas City clearly had it. Uh, crazy a stat that I'm sure we've all heard at this point is Kansas City is the only, only team ever to be down by 10 or more points in every one of their playoff games and win every one of their playoff games by 10 or more points. Yeah. Uh, Talk about like, destiny, right? Like it's mind blowing. Like how, how well they, they play down the stretch after being it's like, they just kind of play with people <laughs> to, to a point. Um, you know, obviously scores tied 10, 10 at halftime. Um, San Francisco went up 20 to 10. And then you're thinking, all right, this, this could, this could be interesting. Um, you know, fourth quarter comes along. San Francisco, um, Kansas City scores that touchdown. Um, and and I, what I what I thought was surprising, not surprising but refreshing, I guess, mm-hmm. to say is Andy Reid going for it on fourth down as many times as he did in situations where he could have easily kicked a field goal, um, which was kind of his downfall when he was the coach in Philadelphia when they played the Patriots. Yeah. Is that they kicked the field goal rather than being aggressive. And mm-hmm. in this Super Bowl, you know, he's coaching 21 years. Who knows if he'll get back here, given, you know, how the AFC is starting to shape up. Yeah. And he went for it. And I, I couldn't be happier for Andy Reid um, and the city of Kansas City, um, you know, the great state of Kansas. Um, so anybody get that? Right. You know? No, I, uh, I'm completely with you. Um, um, no, the joke, the great state of yeah, Kansas. Great state of Kansas, uh, even though it's in Missouri. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. So, of course, the game, uh, I think, will end up being an underrated Super Bowl. I think that the instant reaction that I saw was this game was nothing special. Um, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was uh San Francisco actually did exactly what they said they were going to do it's it's just that you know we as Colts fans we've been saying what for what feels like the last decade at a minimum that you got to be able to run the ball right you got to be able to run the ball well um that's because we had Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck guys that you can lean on and they can go out and win you football games. It's just so much easier to win. It's so much easier to stay in games, to have long drives, to pick up short yardage first downs when you have the ability to run the football. Right. And I want to point out that in a game they lost going away and this game did not feel close. Even though it was a a double digit loss, it felt worse um, the 49ers did run the ball well. They had they averaged 6.4 yards per carry. And the reality is, is Jimmy Garoppolo was behind Brady, who had about the same stats 
as Jacoby. So when you really think about uh, what happened in this football game, it's that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't belong in the Super Bowl, that the 49er team around him, fantastic team, uh, and that Patrick Mahomes with Andy Reid and all of those wonderful weapons uh, that the Chiefs have um, are just inevitable in that they're so inevitable that I have literally been saying now you you can, you're one of the very few people that can, can attest I've been saying all year well for about a few months anyway that if you kick a field goal in the first quarter you're going to lose and if you call like an early timeout you're gonna lose it's time management uh, and it's um, taking advantage of opportunities ultimately that are going to win you contests uh, games are uh, making sh- you know if you feel like your your offense can score touchdowns and, as opposed to getting a field goal you go for it on fourth down um, knowing that there's no such thing as momentum it's just if you can keep the ball and you know you're going to score eventually why not just keep the ball why give it back uh, is the is the Kansas City mentality, or at least it was in the Super Bowl. Uh, I think they knew, you know, individual individually, pretty good uh, defense, uh, but beatable. Uh, and Tyreek Hill, uh, basically, uh, San Francisco's cornerbacks could not answer uh, Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins. They they couldn't match their speed. This is what we've speed. been saying. We've been saying this all all last week is that San Francisco throughout the NFC, NFC West throughout the playoffs hadn't played the track team that Kansas city had. And that's right. where they struggle is yeah, they, they haven't give up, given up a bunch of big plays throughout the season. Right. But that's because they haven't really played any team that relies on big plays. Like you saw in the super bowl, you had that big, big pass to Tyreek Hill where, they, the, it, it was Dan, Dan Orlovsky, uh, did a great job of breaking this down where you had the cornerback on that side that was responsibility was to be back. Um, saw the Sammy Watkins come up and cut in, saw Kelsey and, and Hill push vertical, which normally means they're, they're pushing vertical and, and coming across, across the formation. Uh, the, corner on that side looked saw hill was starting to come across that formation like they have in all the film that they've seen up to this point so he came up to sit on sammy watkins um and this is what orlovsky um called pushing the zone until it becomes man and what they did was they pushed that zone so then those corners of safeties had to commit to a man and at that point Tyreek Hill caught out and he hadn't done that uh, at least you know, throughout their what that's what Orlovsky was saying is he had not done that throughout the entire year. This was a pretty common route concept that Kansas City ran through the entire year and Hill did a little bit of an audible off of it. Uh, right. And you saw Patrick Mahomes in the shotgun take like a nine step drop from the shotgun, which is ridiculous um, with that that San Francisco defense. Uh, and, and Nick Bosa was playing out of his mind all game. 
Right. Um, but you saw Tyreek Hill get that big play. And then you saw Sammy Watkins um, beat the uh, beat Richard Sherman on a terrific blitz pickup by the offensive line. They sent a, a corner blitz on that. Um, and San Francisco had kind of given their given given it away that they were going to blitz from that left side because mm-hmm. all of the defensive linemen were shifted over one slot. And throughout the entire game, they had not been shifted over. And on third or on, I think it was second, second down, second and seven mm-hmm. on all of the second and longs up to that point, San Francisco had brought pressure or brought extra guys. And so Kansas city did a great job. But again, this goes to coaching and, and, it just still blows my mind that uh, Eric Bieniemy did not get a head coaching job this year. Um, but that's a, a totally different story. The fact that well, he's... I, I guess I guess we say that right now, and we realize that Eric Bieniemy probably prioritized winning a Super Bowl over yeah. taking a head coaching job this year. Well, but he still interviewed. Sure. So it wasn't it wasn't like Frank Reich because when Frank Reich. Um, went through that process he didn't even interview right um when, whenever he said no i'm focusing on this i'm focused mm-hmm. on the philadelphia i want to win the super bowl yep. this is big this is what i want to do and then benemy still interviewed i want to say he interviewed with uh, the giants in cleveland um throughout this process uh i might be wrong and i know i'm pretty sure he, he interviewed with both those teams though and they went in another direction which I, I understand that, you know, it's their, their preference. Um, but yeah. the fact is this guy has this explosive offense and he was able to nurture and grow this MVP caliber quarterback. It just, it's kind of mind boggling why he didn't get either a second interview or they, because based on merit, he deserved it. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I mean, I'm not necessarily in in any sort of disagreement with with any thought process. I was just pointing out that like if I were Eric and I'm getting asked to interview to head coach elsewhere, I'm afraid I, based on the outcome and based on watching him speak after the game, I think he knew that he was going to win a Super Bowl this year. And that's why I said you know, he probably yeah. told those people that interviewed him, don't expect me to leave Kansas City before the end of the year mm-hmm. because we're going to win a Super Bowl. Well, and, and right? I, I imagine that's probably because the, the NFL hiring rules, if you get a buy, um, if your team earns a buy, you can interview during the bye week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next time you can interview is the week before the Super Bowl. So you might be right. Um, and it's, it's highly, highly probable that he said to them, hey, I'm concentrating. If we make the Super Bowl, I'm concentrating on my opponent. The Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And so I will not be doing a second interview during that time. You want to wait till after the Super Bowl to hire me and bring me back in? That's fine. I think that this is kind of goes back to the Josh McDaniel situation with the Colts is a lot of teams now are are hesitant to wait because – who knows what like you might be sitting there with this, you know, one, a one B candidate or, or one and two, and you've got them really close together, but one is going to be going to the super bowl and two, you, you know, is a sure thing, but you know, he's got offers from other teams. 
you might be like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and get two because I know I can get him. Uh, and I don't want to risk losing him and be stuck without either of my first two options. And then I'm sitting here with my third or fourth option at, at head coach. Right. And there's not a lot of Frank Reich sitting out there that will be able to come in as that, that later option that you didn't really consider at the front that will end up being a perfect fit for your team. But exactly. yeah, so sorry, I completely sidetracked the conversation. I know you're talking about the Super Bowl and the Kansas City and the how, the speed that they have at yeah. the wide receiver position. Yeah, I mean, of Patrick Mahomes, 26 completions, um, 20 of them went to Hill, Watkins, and Kelsey. So obviously things that we've said all year long were ended up being true for Kansas City. And the quality of your quarterback play is paramount. So what I came away from the Super Bowl with was have Patrick Mahomes, don't have Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, you would much rather have a player that gets sacked four times, that throws a couple interceptions, but that is capable of scoring quickly, that commands your offense, uh, that is going to score in the majority of, the, of, of possessions anyway, uh, and and is able to throw with anticipation and throw receivers open, and uh, not to mention having Eric and Andy uh, as your head as your coaches, right? Um, but like like I've said from the from the get go, you know, we you, you, your weapons were healthy and productive. The Colts were without that for a considerable portion of the season. We were literally the opposite of the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And, and we beat the Chiefs when they weren't healthy. So to see how it all comes full circle, you have to have your your number one wide receiver. You have to have a good number two wide receiver. You have to have your tight end targets. Those guys have to be healthy. Yeah, and, and that's something that you keyed on all year um, with regards to, to Brissett mm-hmm. is – he didn't have his top three wide receivers, top four wide receivers throughout the majority of the year. Um, you know, at, at no point do I think that he ever had all of his wide receivers, compliments of wide receivers. No, uh, not, not in a single game. game. Um, yeah. So I think that's, again, something that will always stick out in my mind is what if. But then also, you're everybody's got to stay healthy, right? So that's like a theme. That's something that we talked about all year uh, was about how the NFL was really hurt this year. uh, And uh, the teams that get to the end of the year and all their weapons are healthy. These are the teams that tend to perform well in the playoffs. Um, And you think about the Colts losing Eric Ebron and losing Funchess for the two most, I think they're the two the two that missed the most time, uh, Fungus and Ebron. Those were veteran guys, uh, guys that represent red zone targets, that short yardage targets, the the small the small area, uh, ball battles. Uh, those guys were it would be instru- would have been instrumental if they would have gotten to play. And that doesn't even talk about T. Y. Hilton, right? So. In addition to not having guys that would have been linchpins in the red zone, T. 
T.Y. Hilton is really good between the 20s, right? He helps you keep drives alive, extend drives. He gets big plays for you. He doesn't play it. Again, it's difficult to go downfield when your downfield target's not there, right? And now you watch the Kansas City win the Super Bowl, and you realize how important that quarterback is. But more importantly, how how good is your quarterback against a blitz or against a good pass rush, right? How, how is he uh, against a really stellar defense, right? Well, Patrick Mahomes kind of showed you primarily what I took away was San Francisco's playing the game pretty straight up and down and... Kansas City is playing it sideways. Uh, I think is a good way. So uh, San Francisco brings a really good, consistent four-man pass rush, um, and it comes from two places in my eyes: the Forrest Buckner and uh, Bosa off the edge and the inside, respectively. Uh, so they can they can play coverage and just bring four guys and consistently get pressure on the quarterback and what you watch Patrick Mahomes do over the course of the game is find ways to make a play despite getting pressure up the middle getting pressured up the middle or getting pressure from the outside uh, and yeah he uh, Boza had a sack he had a forced fumble uh, Buckner had a sack and a half and a bunch of hits um, so all those people out there saying yeah, like yeah how important is your line. defensive line, right? Well, in this game, the only reason uh, San Francisco didn't basically shut out the Chiefs is because they were playing against Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins. Like, like honestly, like that's such a great point. That if it was any other team, yeah, I think that San Francisco wins this game, and yeah. and probably it's not that that close. Um, no, because, like, like think Nick about think about replacing dominant. replacing Kansas City with Baltimore. San Francisco probably chews Baltimore up. Yeah, but and that's mostly because Lamar Jackson's young. But the reality, the, you know, Patrick Mahomes has another year, right? So. The, well, the, that, that's the thing with with Patrick Mahomes is he's. Um, are you talking about a year of experience versus or a year until his next contract? No, just like he's got another year. Or did they start the same? No, he's he's not the same year as as Lamar Jackson. He started. He was a year before. Yeah, um, okay, that's what I thought. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, Patrick Mahomes has another year of year of experience under there, and it's like what we've been saying with with, for instance, Jordan Love is. Patrick Holmes went to the right situation and he was able to grow as a player and get accustomed to the game before they put him in yep. um, because they had Alex Smith in front of him and he was a perfect bridge quarterback, willing, able teacher. Um, that's one of those things where I, I see Brissett in that same role in exactly. this next draft. If the Colts do decide to, to take a quarterback um, and, and what's crazy with the, yeah. Anyway, we can talk about, about the draft and quarterbacks some other time. Yeah, because um, I don't want to get too too far off topic um, with the the Super Bowl and, and talking about that. But yeah, that that 49ers defensive line was just absolutely dominant. Nick Bosa was 
arguably the game's MVP, if not for Patrick Mahomes if and that, Damian Williams. Let's say Damian like, Williams got robbed. Yeah, I think you should have gone to Damian Williams personally, but um, you know Patrick Mahomes and Damian Williams. If if San Francisco would have won that game, it's Nick Bosa is the MVP, and I don't think it's that that close. Um, and but the thing with that defensive line, like we talked about earlier, is they have four first round picks. Right. Like they should be that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a lot easier to sit there and say, oh you know, defensive line wins championships when, or, or defensive line can get you there when you have you know, four top 10 picks on your defensive line. Right. And I just don't think that that's a, a viable option for a lot of teams outside of San Francisco. Cause it requires you to be really bad for a long time. Yeah. Right. Like um, four, four years, <laughs> at least four years of being really, really bad to, be put in that situation where you have that kind of talent on on your defensive line and I, I think that Chris Ballard actually has done a really good job at drafting defensive ends at this mm-hmm. point um our own Zach Hicks at Stampede Blue put out an article about Ben Banigou um and how he will he's starting to come on in in the snaps that he got as he he started to grow into the role um the mm-hmm. flashes of brilliance that you saw from him Kamoko Ture for the through the first five weeks of the season, you saw the brilliance that he had. Um, and so those are, are a couple, you know, young, young draft picks that the, the Colts are really high on. Um, and, and they're round two picks. So they're not at those top 10 picks, but if you can get a guy that fits your system, it, it doesn't matter where you take him. Um, if he performs, uh, you know, we, we all like to go back and say, Oh, you know, it, we, revisionist history and oh well he should have taken this guy yeah three years after it's kind of cheating to go back and say like going back on a test from college and saying oh i should have put this answer down when you know (laughs) the answer at that point right and so i i kind of i kind of go go away try to try not to be too much of a revisionist on that um, it's more about growth and and where players go. And this is something that that we've talked about on on this podcast. Uh, you know, both these quarterbacks um, for this for these teams, San Francisco and, and Kansas City, those quarterbacks are really good for what their team wants them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, people will will harp on Jimmy Garoppolo because he missed three throws. Um, oh. To, to circle back a little bit, what we're talking about, we talk about on the podcast is where where a quarterback goes and who their coaches are matters more than like when they're taken yeah, or how much they're necessarily paid um, because you have to be in the right fit. So like, right. people seem to forget that prior to like the fourth quarter when like it's, it's winning time in the fourth quarter, but you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was really good um, and had Kyle Shanahan who now has blown two fourth quarter leads in the Super Bowl, which is kind of mind blowing given, you know, he's an offensive genius and all that. Um, had he pushed, like you saw Jimmy Garoppolo at the end of the second half or end of the first quarter, first half, um, push down the field and make some fantastic throws like that throw that uh, to uh, Kittle when Kittle pushed off. 
and got called for offensive pass interference, which, by the way, was the right call. Right. Um, and was the exact same thing that happened in the New Orleans and Minnesota game in the playoffs. Right. And Minnesota won on that play to Rudolph at the end of the game. Yep. Uh, yeah. And like having the NFL officials sit there during the game and be like, yep, that's absolutely the right call. Uh, and talk about it. They're the rules analysts. And I'm like, oh, so you guys aren't going to bring up the other one where like he missed it and didn't even review it. <laughs> it was, like even more of an obvious call. Um, but like that throw by by Garoppolo on that play was perfect. He landed it right in the basket. Right. Um, and it's it was just perfect place, perfect location. Kittle didn't need to push off because that ball was thrown so well. And had Shanahan not just had he just put the ball in Garoppolo's hand a little bit earlier, I think San Francisco had a good shot of winning this game. And so that that's where I get a little bit torn on it because San Francisco had the better defense. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that's really a, a questionable thing. They had a, a ball control offense, which as we've said, that's how you beat a high flying team like Kansas city. Keep them on the sideline. Yeah. You just don't let them have the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we, that's why one of our biggest things, uh, when we talked about how important Chris Jones was, to Kansas City and how stopping the run was such a big deal for the Chiefs and how that interior pressure doesn't allow Chris Jones didn't allow the San Francisco offensive linemen to pull didn't allow them to really get in their set because he was crashing the pocket and he was disrupting plays from the interior which meant that running backs didn't have a lot of places to go um, and, and Shanahan knew that, and you, you want to know why Shanahan knew it because he kept running these outside toss plays, he kept running Debo Samuel on, on these little, little screens, these little, little fly sweeps. sweeps. Yeah. Yeah. To, to get him out in space because he wanted to avoid the middle of that Kansas city line. Right. Like how many, how many called run plays went up the middle against Kansas City's line. Like, not a lot, I don't think. Um, not that, not any big gains that I can remember. Um, no, uh, Debo Samuel had the only real big play uh, for San Francisco all day. Uh, and now that I go back and look at the length of plays, well, the reason Kansas City won is because they had several uh, big they plays. They had like three or four big plays like that. That one to Sammy Watkins, the one to Tyreek Hill. They had the the touchdown to Damian Williams late in the yep. game. Yep. Like, Kansas, that's why we, that's exactly what we were talking about, saying Kansas City is a different beast than what San Francisco. San Francisco gave up ten big explosive plays, so plays over like twenty yards or whatever it is, and Kansas City in this game put up three or four of those. Right. On, on this San Francisco defense because. The way that that Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid set this offense up and basically manipulated the defense to giving them the matchups that they want, that made all the difference. And that's that's what you want in a Super Bowl. That's what you want in a head coach is you want to 
no matter what kind of player you have, and this is for any team really, is you want to accentuate, accentuate their strengths and you right. want to put them in a position to win. And so you have to ask yourself, where do they win? And Kansas City wins with speed, wins with forcing the pressure on the defense. Right. Uh, and that's what they did in the fourth quarter. Once they went to that no huddle in the fourth quarter, San Francisco couldn't, didn't know what hit them. Right, because they're used to playing a slower game where the, where the, you know, one of the strengths of San Francisco is frequently putting their opponent in bad down and distance situations. Mm-hmm. Well, Kansas City is capable of uh, moving the football and is able to run a, a no huddle offense. That's going to screw with Kansas with San Francisco's defense because they're going to want to change out players, right? They're going to want to get into different. Uh, defensive formations on different downs and distances, especially bringing in more meat when you're in a short yarded situation. Um, but like I said, uh, much, much like the Kansas city players that I've heard interviewed so far, I had no doubt in my mind at any point in this football game, that Kansas city wasn't going to come back. In fact, uh, I was watching the game with my wife and I remember when, you know, specifically when it was 20 to 10 and my wife was like, oh, a little upset. Right. And I said, no, this is the part where Kansas City takes over the game. San Francisco doesn't score again and Kansas City blows them out. And then it happened. So, of course, of course, I'm happy to be right. But more importantly, it just goes to show, like we've said. We've been saying you need to be able to run the ball when we had a great quarterback because you don't want to put so much miles on your quarterback and and get, you know, I want all my quarterbacks wins, all all his fourth quarter drives to be in the Super Bowl, to be in playoff games during the regular season. I want to blow people out so that I don't even have to worry about putting stress on my quarterback, right? Because it's like. Uh, stress over time is the is the real problem for a quarterback. If they're constantly under duress, they're never playing with a lead. They're always playing from behind, right? So it's more it feeds it feeds into the theory uh, that it's the full te- the full roster that matters. You know, I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about um the Colts wide receivers. And how Zach Pascal and Marcus Johnson weren't weren't playing for anyone. They were like on the Colts practice squad. That's who that's who Jacoby got to throw balls to. Not guys that they traded for, not Devin Funches, not guys they drafted, not Paris Campbell. Not their all-pro wide receiver and Andrew Luck's favorite target and a fan favorite, T.Y. Hilton. Not those players, but Zach Pascal and Marcus Johnson. Guys that, all truth be told, could end up back on the practice squad. Well, and, and when you think about that, when you do the math on that, like say every team keeps five receivers. And so you've got... 32 teams in the league, five receivers per team. You've got 160 wide receivers on mm-hmm. NFL rosters. Those guys that are on the practice squad usually aren't good enough to make rosters. 
Um, right. And that's why they're on the practice squad. Right. Now, some teams will, will pay a little bit more. You'll see guys bounce up and down. But but say, let's say for argument's sake, we'll say 20 of those guys at the bottom of rosters are, are, are like your top couple practice squad guys are better than them. So you're looking at, you know, Zach Pascal, Marcus Johnson being your 141st, 142nd best wide receiver in the NFL. And those were Jacoby Brissett's one and two through the end of the right. season, which is, is kind of mind-blowing in that just how decimated that – like I've never seen a, a single position group for the Colts just destroyed by injury like the wide receiver position was this year. Right. And that's, that's primarily uh, going to help us – kind of figure out what the Colts will do in the draft. Right. And I still think, you know, it's like, I just exactly like I said, I think at 13, you're going to, we're going to be looking at whoever fell. Like there's going to be a player that was projected to go in the top 10 that just fell to us. And then there's going to be Kinlon love. I think all three possibilities will be there. Mostly because I'm like extremely positive um right I, i'm a glass is full what are you talking about half um so i think the colts will be at and you'll figure out exactly you know what like i said I, I guess i've been we've been saying that longer chris ballard does exactly what he tells you he's going to do if i learned anything from this football game it's like oh shit we need another first round draft pick right like the colts need a quarterback or need Jacoby to take a massive step forward in his progression as a quarterback, or we need a game wrecker along the defensive front, like a Ken law, um, like a DeForest Buckner, uh, more importantly, like Fletcher Cox, frankly, if I have to pick, um, something that the Colts need that they don't have, uh, that they could. And you're they, right. It's that they, that interior pressure causing defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and that's originally what Chris Ballard thought Taekwon Lewis could be, um, right. and what Danico Autry has been in spurts. Right. Um, but they need a younger guy at that position, which is, you know, and again, it goes back to what Chris Ballard said at the end of your press conference, where he says three technique drives this thing, talking right. about the defense. And so it's pretty clear that he's not happy with where they're at at the three technique. And so getting somebody like a Javon Kinlaw or a Neville Gallimore or um, a Blacklock. I I like Blacklock, I think, over over Gallimore. Um, But they've got these guys that 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 they might be able to get them in the second round and and push it out. And it's all going to depend on free agency. you know, we can sit here and prognosticate, you know, till the cows come home, mm-hmm. um, which I can say because I, I have a farm. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we can prognosticate about this all day and night. And on March 18th, everything could change. Right. That, that from, from March 18th and March when 25th, free agency starts. everything could change. And we're sitting there going, well, we Who are we going to draft, right? Yeah. yeah, so here's the here's the reality. And, and 
What are we going to do if Anthony Costanzo retires? Like, we don't even know that yet. And that happens before the draft. It does happen after the combine, right? So we will get to evaluate offensive tackles. Uh, We've started our draft guide research. Stampede Blue fans, if you're out there wondering when are they going to bring up the draft guide, this is the part of the show where we do that. But yeah, we've kind of doled out the responsibilities uh, I think uh, Matt Danley and I are going to evaluate quarterbacks uh, this year. So I'll be able to give you the skinny breaking news, breaking news. Yeah. No, but, I don't know if that's been announced yet, even to any of all of us. <laughs> no. Uh, Anthony Costanzo has not decided what he's going to do. So we can sit here and talk about the three technique driving, needing to get a quarterback, but what are you going to do if you have to replace your left tackle? It's probably a little more pressing a question. Um, it's with that in mind, let's kind of talk about free agents. Uh, we, let's, let's do the fun part first and talk about quarterbacks. Because along the lines of drafting a quarterback, the Colts got this mountain of money, Stephen Reed, and we got to spend it all or they'll take it from us. Uh, and a lot oh. of people are saying the Colts could use that money to buy themselves a brand new shiny quarterback. And there's a, a, a handful of names uh, that we've got as possibilities, right? So we talked about... Uh, Philip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Derek Carr uh, as as uh, potential. Derek Carr is not a not a, um, uh, a free undrafted. agent. Uh, yeah, he's not a free agent. He he's just a guy that that might become available just because of the contentious relationship it appears he has with John Gruden out in right. until now Las Vegas because they will be playing in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders, um, and so. Derek Carr and, and Matthew Stafford are, are two players that, that could be available for trade, depending on what Detroit and uh, and Las Vegas wants to do um, with regards to their current quarterback. So, but I, I'm going to take I'm going to take issue with what you said though to start um, about this quarterback position. None of these quarterbacks are shiny and new. All of these quarterbacks like new new to us are. They're, they're new to us, but they are like they're like your first car where they're kind of beat up. They're a little older. They might they might not make it, you know, more than a year or two. Right. Um, and, and you're constantly needed to you, you want them to be great. But, uh, you know, they they're not they don't have the the MPGs that, that you used to get. You know, right. they don't they don't have the oomph to them that they used to. And so that's where I, I and sit there and I say, all right, so we've got these these quarterbacks. Um, so out of out of the free agent quarterbacks, Rivers, Teddy Bird, Roger, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, um, those are the, your big four. It's which one would you prefer if the Colts are going to go after one? Uh, frankly. No, none of them. I reality. Oh come on! Uh, You're a Purdue but, guy. But, it's Drew but, uh, Brees or bust. But I, <laughs> I, I do think Drew Brees led the league in completion percentage. And if I wanted to find out what I had in terms of offensive weapons over the next couple years, while I kind of grew my own, as it were, uh, I'd want Drew Brees uh, back there. But uh, if you're gonna go out 
and get a guy that can start for the conceivable future uh, that you could potentially see starting for the next five to ten years, uh, it's Teddy Bridgewater uh, because of his youth. I mean, Drew Brees is 40. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons oh. that I was like, eh, I'm not, I don't really want Breeze. I don't really want Brady. Uh, don't really want Philip Rivers. Rivers. I think Philip Rivers is going to Tampa or Miami. Uh, well, and the funny thing is with, with Rivers is I think he's probably the worst of that group. And I'm not a big fan of Brady, like in terms of <laughs> right. his actual quarterback play. Right. Um, you know, I, I sit there and I look at Rivers and I go, he has steadily declined over the past three years. Um, in terms of his production, his accuracy, everything. Yeah. And people are saying, oh, well, you know, we should we should go sign Rivers. We should go sign Rivers. But I'm saying, but but he's not that great anymore. Right. Uh, you know, he didn't have, you know, he had some top top weapons in Sandy or uh, in Los Angeles. Um, but at the same time, he was he was turnover prone. Uh, he Still is that fiery personality, which we all love, um, and we love to hate it. But you see him, and you're like, meh. Like, he's the salad. <laughs> yeah. he, he's like, eh, it's good for you, but it doesn't taste good. Yeah. Um, you don't really want it. Um, some people really like it. Um, but you got to cover it with a lot of stuff to make it taste good. Right. Um, and that's kind of what what I, I feel like with Rivers. Like, I'm with you on if I were going to take a pick between those four, I, w- I would lean Teddy Bridgewater. Again, yeah. based on his youth and when he was with New Orleans, when he started, when Drew Brees was out with his thumb injury, Teddy Bridgewater, I think, went undefeated. I think he was 5-0. Yeah, 5-0 was a starter. Nine touchdowns, two interceptions, like 67% completion percentage. Like, he's certainly capable. And- Here's the issue, though. The quarterbacks we're talking about are all old, 42, 40, 38. Exactly. And even, even I hate to do it to our own little mini segment here, right? But even Bridgewater is 27. Guess who else is 27? Jacoby. So the reality is you're going to yeah, get a young quarterback. Than, or I'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater than Jacoby. I feel like I, that's I just, more of a lateral move than we're willing to admit. Um, he, it, it, it is to a point. Um, because I, I think we know what Bridgewater's ceiling is, and I think it's higher than Brissett's, but I, I think that Bridgewater also has a much higher floor than Brissett. Um, now, it, to, to play devil's advocate here, you know, Bridgewater was surrounded by Alvin Kamara, by Michael Thomas, you know, okay. by, um, you know, I think, didn't they have Ted Ginn this year? Yeah. For whatever reason. Barely. Yeah. I was going to say, wasn't he there for a little bit? Yeah, um, every, he would make an aberration. Like every now and then he would just appear and you're like, oh, Ted and, Ginn still plays football. Oh, Interesting. There's an 80 yard touchdown reception. That's Ted <laughs> Ginn. Go. All right. And then everybody would frantically pick him up on fantasy and you're like, ah, suckers. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so like to play devil's advocate, was Bridgewater a more of a product of Sean Payton's system and having really good playmakers around him? Or was he yes. is he that kind of quarterback you know we we all know drew Brees is the most accurate quarterback in basically nfl history mm-hmm. um and you know bridgewater he's accurate yeah and 
and he plays well. Um, I, I think that's probably an upgrade over Brissett, but I don't think it's as big as, of an upgrade as you could get if you drafted a guy. Right. Um, like, um, a, like a Jordan Love or a Justin Herbert. No, and, and this is the crazy thing. With, with this quarterback class being what it is in the draft, um, the Los Angeles Chargers may not draft a quarterback at six. They could. They need a help on the offensive line. They could take a tackle. Mm-hmm. They could. They could get their pick of the best tackle in the draft, right there. And that's hard to pass up. Yeah. And then take a quarterback at in round two. And take like a Jake Fromm, you know, or a, a Jacob Eason, or a you know wait a little bit longer, and then you get a guy like Anthony uh, uh, Anthony Gordon, who make third fourth round you'd steal that guy but anyway so we're, we're again going to hypotheticals um the one quarterback that i like rivers is probably lowest on the list for quarterbacks that i'd like but i'd, I'd probably list it from those four is teddy teddy bridgewater then drew Brees, then tom brady and then philip rivers um i don't want to be the team that signs tom brady and finds out that it was all a product of the system right you know, he he goes from the greatest game manager of all time to just being a game manager, and you're like, oh shit! Like we paid for Brian, we pay we paid uh, Drew Brees we money paid. for uh, Marcus Mariota or Brian Hoyer. You know, yeah. I mean, like, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the 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 reality is, if I'm not getting markedly better statistically by taking someone in free agency, we need to look to do that and over the course of the draft. And more importantly, we need to look a a, a year or two down the road. We don't even need to look at, I I personally don't even think we need to look at quarterback uh, in the first round or two, uh, just because of what I saw on the field at the Super Bowl. Uh, I just saw uh, a dominant defensive front on both sides. Both teams had great interior defensive linemen. That absolutely, uh, when they had their breath, right, uh, absolutely dictated what was going on. Uh, as far as numbers go, the reason the answer to your question is uh, Breeze uh, and then Bridgewater is because Breeze was the second highest rated quarterback in the NFL. Um, and then Bridgewater if you extrapolate his data out for a full season, he's Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott. Um, and then to go back to one of the guys you said could be on the move, uh, Derek Carr would be the third quarterback. So of, of quarterbacks in the free agency market that look like I would want them breeze Bridgewater and then Derek Carr, uh, if he were going to move, uh, he's, uh, ahead of the guys like Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson, uh, statistically. Yeah. Well, and again, we had we'd have to trade for Derek Carr. Right. Um, so, like, what would you, what would you be willing to give up for a quarterback like Derek Carr? Or, for example, like we're going to trade for a quarterback, and you know, all things being equal, I would look into Matt Stafford because it sounds like Detroit is trying to move on from him. Yeah. Um, it seems like they're just not happy with him, which I understand. You know, Matt Patricia's trying to like 
Oh, off, yeah, Matt really Patricia. Bad. So then he's been really bad. So if they get a new quarterback, it might give him another year or two to try to try to figure it all out. Um, but, like, Matt Stafford's a really good quarterback. Um, I think he's, you know, heads, shoulders above Derek Carr in terms of just overall ability. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you what would you think the compensation would be then? If you are going for a Derek Carr and Matt Stafford. Well, the the thing that I know is that there's a trade calculator. And that I think I personally say if you're trading Stafford, you're getting a first round draft pick in return. And then because of the, you know, contentious relationship between uh, potentially contentious uh, relationship between Derek Carr and John Gruden, I expect the cost to be lower more like a second round pick uh just because of how the organization views the player um so i don't again don't mind doing i don't mind i don't mind anything involving matthew stafford um it just he he wasn't one of the ones that was in our little group um and then Derek carr the one we'd have to trade for uh, statistically is a step back from Matthew Stafford. And again, I think any any veteran you bring in does something for you that Jacoby's not doing. One of the things that Jacoby wasn't doing was testing his receivers, right? He wasn't actually hitting his number one and two wide receivers. He was frequently hitting his tight ends, his running backs, the inside receivers, uh, because he felt comfortable with making those throws. Um if we want to, you want to get better at evaluating, you know, you bring in a, a seasoned quarterback. I, of all of the possibilities, other than Andrew Luck, if, you know, if he's still a possibility, you take him. Uh, but Matthew Stafford, 31 years old, um, has played well above bar for the bulk of his career, has never really had uh, the organization around him. Uh, matching his quality, his level of play. Uh, Matt Stafford, the sixth overall quarterback I have in the league this past year. Uh, and Detroit was what, seven and nine? Is that right? Uh, I don't have it up. Uh, I know it wasn't good. Yeah, because he was three and four as a starter oh, and only no, played eight they games. They couldn't have been seven and nine this year. They have the third overall pick. Oh, no. So they had to be like. They had to Bad. be like five and five and eleven, is my guess. Okay, so they went completely defeated without him, uh, th- or three and th- three and thirteen or whatever. Is it could be a possibility, right? I guess. Uh, yeah, it's it's either three and thirteen, four and twelve, or five and eleven. I think they were probably five three, and twelve, and one. So we were both three, wrong. Three, twelve, and one. Yeah, Wait, and I, I all think three of those Patricia, wins came with. I, uh, Matt Stafford. They tied Arizona. I remember that early in the yes, season. Yes, they did. The, the, like, Matt Patricia, I think, has seven total wins as a head coach through two oh. years. Oh, wow. So that's why like, I, I bring up Matt Stafford because you know, Matt Patricia is trying to, trying to keep hold of his job at this point because if the, the ownership finally realizes, you know, maybe maybe the head coach might be the problem. Right. Um. Matt Patricia, if he, he can get himself another quarterback or draft a quarterback early, then it gives them an opportunity to 
say, all right, let's give him another another year after this one. He just got his rookie quarterback, you know, and right. it makes me sad for Lions fans because it's no fun to sit there <laughs> and, and, and wait for quarterback. As we now know as Colts fans, before that, we didn't even we didn't even know what that felt like. Um, but now we do know. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it's not fun. But like with the third overall pick, how often is, is Detroit going to be this high? So you look at it and you say, all right, we've got, they've got an opportunity to take Tua. Yeah. At, they got, I mean, they overall. could, yeah, they yeah. could really spoil um, they could everybody's, everybody's draft boards. Yeah, if they, they you know, what, do you, do you think Matt there. Stafford, uh, Derek Carr are draft day trades? I think they could be like, honestly, like I think, if, if you see, like, if you see Detroit take a quarterback at three, I think it is. I think Matt Stafford's gone later that, that day. And I know they'll already have those trades in place. Yeah. Um, now, at the same time, like, you could maybe see him moving them before. Because at three, you already know what Cincinnati is doing at one with Joe Burrow. You already know what Washington's doing at two with Chase Young. Yeah. So, you know, they, they trade away Matt Stafford. Then, you know, Detroit's now taking quarterback at three and they're not moving. Right. So you're looking at a, a really interesting scenario. And like, if they're really motivated to move Matt Stafford, you might be able to get him for cheaper. Like Jimmy Garoppolo went for a round two pick. You know, I think you're probably looking at trading around one pick for Matt Stafford. And if I'm the Colts, Maybe I look at that and I say, you know what? I'll trade a, a 2021 round one pick for him. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up draft capital this year. Or this draft. This draft is loaded at the positions we need to fill. And the Colts are probably not picking this early, it, especially if they have Matt Stafford as a quarterback. Right. Like, but at the same time, as you know with, that you found out with your interview with Eric Ebron, Matt Stafford doesn't have touch. Like he throws a rocket. Yeah. And so, which means you just need you need receivers that are fast and that with strong hands. With strong hands. I mean, well, not really. You just you just need guys you can just lay the ball out and let them go get it because he's he's throwing it mm-hmm. hard. He's throwing it far. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But that that would be my only concern. Like I think with Frank Reich's system. I think that that quarterbacks like Rivers, like Stafford, uh, to a point, Derek Carr, they don't fit it as well. Yeah. Uh, um, just because, like, it relies so much on accuracy and throwing to a spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Rivers, you know, I think Stephen Holder put this out earlier today on Twitter, where he talked about how Philip Rivers he himself is more aggressive and makes riskier plays because he thinks his arm can do it. And that's kind of counter to Frank Reich's you know, offensive philosophy of right. being relatively conservative with your play calls, going and trying to make the right play, not just trying to make the play. Um, and so that's why I have hesitations. With, that's one of the reasons why I have hesitations with Rivers beyond the fact that he has steadily declined over the past couple of years. Now the Matt Stafford one, again, it's, 
I'm torn on it, you know, because he's never like he did well when with Jim Caldwell there, um, and and played better in that system. Um, Matt Patricia has been kind of a train wreck. Derek Carr, you know, going giving him an option here, he could do well, but again, Gruden's system is so friendly for a quarterback. If he can't do well in that system, like Gruden's West Coast style system, and I have mm-hmm. questions on how well he'll do in Frank Wright's system because it does rely on accuracy and timing more so than like just sheer ability to throw a football really far, or really hard. All right. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of I've basically talked myself in and out of every every quarterback. So, <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's what we kind of have to that's so, kind of what we're kind of where we're at is really saying like, well, let's look at our, our free agents. And, and like I've said prior, the only player that I see that, you know, other other than maybe um, Jabal Sheard would be a free agent that I'm like, well, you kind of kind of can play. But Anthony Costanzo is really the big free agent for the Colts. Um, Jabal Sheard is another consideration. And then there's some restricted free agents. And again, none of them that I'm really maybe Roland Milligan uh, is the guy I like. Yeah. Uh, I think he's already signed his um exclusive rights for agents uh, there you go uh, um there's a there's a couple guys so uh, if we're looking at we're going to move off the quarterbacks here and and move to colts free agents who are the, the colts unrestricted free agents so right now colts have 12 unrestricted free agents they've got josh andrews the the backup center yep. anthony costanzo these are going to be in alphabetical order by the way anthony costanzo left tackle or even carlick um uh, he's a swing player, played guard and tackle. Um, Eric Ebron, who we all know is uh, you know, probably not going to bring him back. Um, no. Then you've got Devin Funches, the wide receiver, Clayton Gathers, safety, Joe Haig, uh, swing tackle, um, Dontrell Inman, the wide receiver, Chester Rogers, the wide receiver, Jabal Sheard, defensive end, and Adam Vinicari, um, and Jonathan Williams. So, you kind of break that down and you look at the players that are um, and you, you also have some restricted free agents, um, Marcus Johnson, uh, Trayvon Coley, who was a defensive tackle that didn't really play a bunch. Um, and then Breon body Calhoun, uh, he's a corner. He got signed late in the season. Um, mm-hmm. And so you look at that and obviously the, the number one is Anthony Costanzo. Right. Uh, I don't think that really goes without question. Looking at, like, say, Josh Andrews, I could see them letting him walk. Um, Eric Ebron, we already know, probably not bringing back. I think that the Colts could potentially bring back Jabal Sheard or Clayton Gathers uh, based on, again, Chris Ballard's end-of-year press conference where he talked about that veteran leadership that an Al Woods or Mike Mitchell brought uh, and how he was missing it and how he just kind of let it took for granted uh, the leadership that those guys offered. And so those guys, I wouldn't be surprised. I think if they're going to bring back one of those veteran guys, I think it's probably going to be Jabal Sheard over Clayton Gathers, um, even though Gathers was a defensive captain. Um, mm-hmm. The fact is he's going to get pushed out of a spot. 
because you've got um, Lee Cooker back there, and you've got George Odom, you've got Kari Willis, um, and then you've also got um, Roland Milligan that Chris Ballard really, really likes. Yep. Um, and then you potentially have maybe a, a draft pick there at the safety position. You know, Chris Ballard, I think every year has drafted a defensive back um, that is able to play, like that's able to to play that safety position. And so right. you could also see, and here's kind of a, a guy that might be in play at that safety position is Quincy Wilson. Uh, he's clearly struggled at the cornerback position, but he played very, very well against Kansas City. Um, and when he lined up more like a safety and manned up against Travis Kelsey. And so that might be somebody that they consider and trying to move him around to keep him on the field because if he's not playing defense, he's not playing. Like, he's not even dressing for the week, um, which is kind of the, the sad part of it. Um, so then you've got Devin Funches. I, th- I think the Colts might bring back Devin Funches. Um, yeah, on like a, on a show me deal. Yeah, like on another show me deal. It's not going to be the twelve million dollar deal that he got last time. Uh, I think you're probably looking at between seven and nine million for him on it. Um, and and he might have interest elsewhere um, from other teams trying to try to bring him back. Joe Haig, I think, is a priority to resign, um, just because he has been kind of a mainstay. Yeah, like he he's been that guy that if you need someone to step in for injury or, or whatever, he's there. Um, Dontrell Inman's not getting re-signed right now. He was a guy who was brought back late in the season this week um, or this year. Um, Chester Rogers, I, I think they let Chester Rogers lock, even though I know they like him um, because they've seen the players that they've got. Um at the wide receiver position and guys that you expect to come back and this draft being so deep at wide receiver. Uh, that's why I would say that Chester Rogers is probably done. And also the saving grace of Chester Rogers was the fact that he was a great kick re- or he was not great. He was an adequate kick returner. Mm-hmm. And then Naheem Hines went and just blew it out of the water. Right. Um, so yeah. And then Adam Vinatieri and Jonathan Williams, Jonathan Williams, I could see him coming back just because the the Colts kept him on the roster all year. Um, and then Vince Carey, I think they'll probably bring him back and let him try to win it, win the job. Um, I don't think he will uh, win the job. I think it's going to be Chase McLaughlin, um, McLuhan, however you say his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he's probably going to be the the Colts kicker from from here on out. I thought it was great great claim by Chris Ballard when he claimed him. Um, Cause also if, if you noticed back when Chris Ballard claimed Chase McLuhan, McLaughlin, um, just going to call him Chase. Back when Chris Ballard claimed Chase, New England Patriots also put on a claim with him and it so did another team. Um, mm. I don't remember which team it was. Um, and so he was a, a pretty sought after kicker option. Um, so yeah. Um, what would you think would be the priorities, like your top top four priorities in the three agents? 
Uh, probably about like what you said. Like, I definitely want. I, 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 we've got the bottom. The bottom line is, before we get to, before realistically, I get to the combine, before we get to the draft, before we get into, uh, free agency and all that. I got to find out if Anthony Costanzo intends to continue to play football. Uh, that's priority one. Uh, you know, we lost Andrew for the start of last year. I would hate for. More than I would hate for him to retire now, right? So I'd rather he do it now than go to training camp, go through training camp, get injured in training camp, get back on the bike, we're rehabbing, 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 and then he quits the week before the season starts and leaves us hung out to dry. So my priority is re-signing him and or finding out, am I kind of up against it now and have to replace a tackle uh, of Costanzo's quality because Anthony Costanzo has decided he wants to go be sad with his friend Andrew um, or whatever, be dads. They can just be dads. That's Which, fine. That would also be sad. Oh, being sad would be sad. Being dads would be awesome. Right. Um, um, because being a dad is awesome. I right. That's, what, that's why I was like, I guess I should change like not being sad just to playing dad with, with Andrew Luck. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, but like so, they they both have kids, so it's not like he's playing dad with Andrew Luck. He's playing dad like adjacent to Andrew Luck, who is also playing dad. That's what I meant. But like he's um, not like Andrew Luck's not his son. Right like, now, I've taken this totally off the rails. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, but in addition to figuring out Anthony Costanzo, I think you either you have to figure out are we keeping Haig or Clark, right? Uh, I think Haig probably has better tape but i can't say that because i haven't ever really watched haig at length uh specifically not watched haig v clark at length but i feel like even clark uh was a uh turnstile at tackle um the weird thing about laraven clark is he was on the roster all year never played it down i don't don't know how many games he was actually dressed um Mm -hmm. for the 48 um yeah. so I, I i look at him and i go what are you right um I, I don't know where i don't know where you fit in because he didn't really play did they keep him around because they were worried about costanzo potentially retiring there you go um, or, or, or just worried about an injury along the offensive line so yeah, I would. I would either take. I would want to make sure I get Costanzo back if he's going to play. Pay him whatever you pay that man his money. He's ultra important uh, if he decides to stick around. Uh, and then Haig probably. And then defensively, uh, I think defensive tackle is important enough that I'd want a guy like Jabal Sheard uh, around. Just a big guy needs to play less. And just do more with the yeah. snaps he's given. Um, and then I, I imagine, like, like I said, probably Sheard, keep in a guy like... To quickly put in there, Sheard is a defensive end. Yeah. Um, not the defensive tackle. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, a defensive. Like, I think I classified him as a defensive line player, right? So, like, the defensive line's, like, ultra, ultra important. So, like keeping a guy around that plays in the trenches is probably the play. And then uh, I figure gathers or Milligan will get kept depending on which you think 
you need help with more? Do you need a better backup to Hooker or to Willis in the future uh, and kind of figure it out uh, from there? Because I think the Colts have a good young secondary, uh, good linebackers. I just think you need to focus on the trenches, which is (laughs) crazily exactly what we've been being told. Uh, It's just becoming more evident over time. The more football I watch outside of Colts football, right? It it confirms the things that we are even saying with, you know, as fans of a specific organization, right? The, the interior of your offense and your defense are very important. Those offensive and defensive lines are paramount. And then your skill position players are like highly important. Uh, And I understand the notion of wanting to kind of grow your own, uh, but on that note, w- there are two free agents I wanted to ask you about. Oh, guys that are free agents are at the top of their uh, professional uh, position um, in AJ Green and Jadavion Clowney. Both are undraft- unrestricted free agents. Uh, AJ Green, 32 year old wide receiver out of Cincinnati, didn't play a lot last year because he's injured. And then Jadavion Clowney. Uh, got got a lot of experience. Only 27 years old. Uh, those guys are both uh free agents. How would you feel about trying to sign either of those guys as AJ Green to kind of uh take some pressure off of Ty, uh Javion Clowney to take some pressure off of Houston? Or what are you thinking? My concern with AJ Green is the injury history. I don't I don't think he's played a full 16 games in any of the last three seasons. Um, and so, as you said, he's an older wide receiver, um, 31, 32 years old, mm-hmm. um, has a lot of mileage on him um, at this point, 31 years old, has a lot of mileage on him. Uh, could be, you know, a great wide receiver, uh, but I, I would, I would be hesitant for AJ Green. Um, my concern with Jadavion Clowney is the amount of money that he's going to want and the lack of production that he has for the amount of time that he's put in. Like, he's un- undoubtedly a disruptive player. Um, and like we've talked about, um, like you mentioned just a minute ago, the trenches matter. And so you put him at a defensive end and let him go, that could be just an absolute wrecking ball. But he also could just get hurt and not really play. And so, like, he had a real opportunity in Seattle to put up huge numbers, and he didn't. And so, and this was a con, like, ultimately was a contract year for him, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you're going to sit here and, and ask me, you know, which guys I would prefer out of it, I'm probably looking more towards, like, if, if I'm looking at a defensive end and I feel like I've got to take a guy. I'm probably looking at Yannick Ngakwe um, before I'm looking at Jadavian Clowney. Um, You're saying Jadavian Clowney is going to command $20 million a year, but that AJ Green is only going to command 9.1 a year and probably. Take oh, are you going off of the, um, sport the track? projections? Yeah, the sport track projections on it. Hmm? So I think, I, I think AJ Green demanding nine is low. Like, I think AJ Green, given that his name recognition i think you're going to see a team um 
in a bigger market say I want him and they're going to give him 12 million um, or, or up, up close to that. When I, I look at Jadavion Clowney, he's, he's 26. He played in the four, three at Seattle. And, and if he's looking at 20 million, that's a little, a little rich for me. Um, like I said, I'd rather pay a Yannick Ngakwe 17 and he's only 24 right. and he's been, you know, best pass rusher, one of the better pass rushers in the NFL the past two years um, versus Jude Van Clowney. It's always that. Yeah. But what if, right. You know, he's got all the upside in the world. He's, he was a, the generational talent of his class and he he's constantly was hurt in Houston, finally put up some, some good numbers and then got traded to Seattle. So he played in the three, four at Houston for uh, three years, four years, mm-hmm. played one year in Seattle's four, three and didn't like, like the problem with me at the clown is I don't know where to necessarily play him, you know, cause he's, he's kind of that tweener hybrid. Like he played well, and in Houston's 4-3 as an outside linebacker. Um, but he also, you know, he was okay in the 4-3 as a rush end. The interesting thing, though, is he's also, Clowney, to me, the, the one reason why I would say Clowney would be a, a good choice versus Ngakwe is Clowney is, is an elite run defender, too. And, and that's something that people don't, recognize as much about Clowney because they see all these big plays and they're usually pass rush plays, but you know, he sets the edge. Well, he, he does all these things. And, and right. plus the, the trolling that it would be for Colts fans to like have, you know, Jadavion Clowney come back and play Houston twice a year. Um, That's what I'm saying. Pretty, That's pretty one of the funny. reasons I brought him up was you went out and got Justin Houston. From Kansas why, city. Why not? If, if we can acknowledge that we didn't do what we set out to do, which which was improve the pass rush. Remember, we talked about this. We only improved the pass rush by 0.3%. It, it, it didn't move the needle. Uh, yeah. Had some injuries. Uh, had some guys not, not step up and play. But you did get good production out of Justin Houston. And now teams have an offseason to prepare for that. Right? And... and you know, you want to kind of move counter to where everybody else is doing. So getting a guy like Jadavion Clowney, uh, not awful, uh, especially given you'll have Justin Houston on the other end. Uh, you, you draft a guy like Kinlaw, and now your defensive line's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you've got both those guys, and then you can slide in, like, like you can... The only thing I... I I worry about with, with Clowney, um, or not the only thing. There's, there's been obviously several things. But one of the things that I also worry about is putting him in, giving him playing time over a guy like Ture or Banigou, who very clearly are can be great edge rushers. Right. Um, now, at the same time, you can never have too many good edge rushers. And so I, I think right. that goes, goes kind of without saying um, – yeah, that's where I, I'm. I'm just torn on Clowney. Yeah, I obviously because of the price tag, right? Yeah, and that's the biggest thing for me is that price tag. 
um, which is crazy because the Colts have like a hundred million in cap space. So like they could pay him, you know, 30 million in the first year and, and still have enough money to, to franchise tag Costanza like three times. Um, and so that's my biggest thing. The other thing to consider um, for Colts fans is we, we talk about the Colts needing to spend a bunch of money. That's actually not as true as we think it is. The Colts are only $43 million below the cash over cap spending to meet mm-hmm. that 87% threshold. And so, and part of this is because Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay gave that money to Andrew Luck mm-hmm. um, last year. I thought that was a smart move because it lessened their burden for the cash over cap um, to, to meet that 87% spending threshold. So they gave that to him, knocked off 23 million, 24 million, whatever. They didn't have to pay out to something else. And then they gave reset an, an extension. So added an extra 30 million onto it because Brissett was making like 2 million as a fourth round pick or whatever it was, um, maybe less. Um, he might've been making a lot less than that. Now I think about it, but they gave him that money. So then they could decrease the amount of money that they necessarily needed to spend mm-hmm. um, in the free agency. And so uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised more so to Chris Ballard to spend on his own free agents or do some contract extensions with some of his own free agents uh, rather than, than go elsewhere. I think that the intrigue of going elsewhere is, is huge. You know, you have guys like Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle from the Steelers or Shelby Harris, the, the defensive end defensive tackle from the Broncos that have played well. You've got a bunch of guys that, that you could theoretically bring in and would be great options for the Colts. Right. I don't think anybody is questioning that either is, is you've got, you know, Dante Fowler's another guy. Um, he played in that, that three, four for Los Angeles this past year and really played well. Um, Bud Dupree came on late for, for the Steelers. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, Eric Armstead's going to be a free agent. Um, we saw how well he played in the Super Bowl, but again, that could be just a matter of he's playing in a contract year and wants to make sure that he gets his. Right. Um, so, yeah, like if you're looking at edge rusher, probably the best edge rusher in a class, in the free agent class, is probably Clowney as a, as a complete player. Yannick Ngakwe is a pure edge rusher. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just depends on what Chris Ballard wants. And part of me thinks that, you know, now that, now that we sit here and talk about it, I have now switched my position again and think that they might sign Clowney if they right. get an opportunity to. Because right. you've got Justin Houston that's older. You've got Jabal Sheard that's older. You put Clowney on the other side of Ture and Banigou on those passing downs. You've still got a guy that's that's young but is an elite run defender uh, while also being a, a high-quality a high edge rusher. So uh, I could see him see him making that play. I still think like the, the golden goose, though, in free agency for – Chris Ballard would be Chris Jones, a defensive tackle from, from Kansas City. <laughs> Kansas City. That's going to leave yeah. Kansas City the year they win the Super Bowl. Uh, it's not, it's not, like it ha- not like it hasn't happened. Uh, but along the lines of what you were saying, I now that I go and look, uh, today's spelling lesson is going to be, how do you oh, spell Yannick Gakwe? I can, I can spell it for you. I don't even have to look. You want me to spell it for you? Sure. 
Wait, you want the first name or the last name? I want you to spell the first name and the last name. Uh, Yannick. Y-A-N-N-I-C-K. Exactly. Okay, good. I didn't hear the bell. Whew. Whew. Ngakwe. Uh, N-G-A-O. No. Uh, it's K. It's N-G-A-K-O-U-E. Yeah. That close? Yeah. So that everyone knows because he's going to I have a feeling he's going to be a highly touted uh, free agent here, because if you look uh, on pro football reference, one of the things it always does is it shows you when they showed up in the news and every major news outlet regarding uh, football is putting out uh, Yannick Ngakwe's name saying he would fit with the bills. He should resign with the Texans command a huge dollar Obviously, with the Jaguars, Jaguars, uh, the Colts, and the uh, Stephen Reed the and I, right Stephen Reed and I have been, we've been talking about him for a long time. Yeah. Uh, where we felt we're, like we're Yannick, actually really ahead of the curve a lot of times on these things. People, right. like people, we're just we're just there. Um, yeah, in Guacque, the, the thing, the only reason that that we've said that he has a a, a possibility of hitting the market is because of the cap situation for the Jaguars Um, and that's that's the biggest thing for them is the the Jaguars just don't have any cap space Um, they're right now going into 2020 they have minus 1.4 million dollars in cap space now they can clear up quite a bit of money if they cut um, Marcel Darius um, you cut him, you save uh, like $20 million. Right. So I, I think he's probably going to be a cut. Um, but at the same time, you still need to have money to sign your draft picks. So you need to, to tuck away, I think, like something like 10 to $12 million to sign your draft picks. Um, Jaguars are picking in the top 10, so that might actually be be a little bit more than that. And Gakwe's, you know, going to – the franchise tag for a defensive end, I think, is running about $19 million. Okay. And so you tag him, like, you now have negative half a million dollars in cap space. So, like, they've got to make a couple moves, whether it's cut Marcel Darius and Clay Campbell. Um, they could do that. They do those two moves, and you sit there and you clear up $35 million in cap space. So that might be their move. Um, I think that's done, but it is what it is. Um, but the fact is they've totally mismanaged their, their salary cap. And so that's why I've been kind of pushing for Ngakwe is because he's somebody that might might have an opportunity to hit the market. Um, the Versus, if you look at, at Seattle, um, Seattle has... $59 million in cap space as of right now. Um, and so if they wanted to, to tag Jadavion Clowney, they could. And it's, it's no no harm to them. Um, you know, they've got Russell Wilson on an extended, on his extension. Bobby Wagner is extended. 
know, they don't have any major, major players that they need to re-sign right now. So that that would be my my one hiccup with Jalen Clowney is I'm not even sure he'll ever hit the market. Right, and that's of course one of the the primary reasons I brought that up is there's uh, the odds are AJ Green, Jadavian Clowney are gonna stay where they're at. Um, Cincinnati Bengals are set to draft first overall and take a quarterback. If you're AJ Green, how else do you want to end your career? A number one quarterback, a number one overall draft pick quarterback, slinging it to you, probably not a bad idea. And then if you're Jadavian Clowney, I sure as hell would rather be teammates with Russell Wilson than play against him. Right. So, um, yeah, part of the part of the the fun and bringing up those two guys is, hell, they they could just as very well stay at home. Uh, and then that means the Colts are looking at, at a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, who could just be a cap hit uh, kind of uh, <laughs> Jacksonville spent all that money and didn't win a damn thing. Um, but like, I mean, how that, sad is that, though? Like they spent all that money and went like six and six and ten. Yeah. On the year. But maybe, but they did that. they did find out the answer to the questions. Is Nick Foles the answer at quarterback? No. But, but did they? Like, is Garner like Nick Foles Nick Foles got hurt the first game, missed ten weeks, yeah. came back and still wasn't hundred percent. Yep. Like that's that might be like the blessing in disguise for Colts fans, is that Jacksonville has no idea what's going on in their quarterback position. Because Exactly. Jacksonville could draft a quarterback at seven overall, <laughs> wherever they're at. They're not. They're not seven. They're like eight or nine in there. But they could draft draft that quarterback there. Oh, that's where Philip Rivers goes. That could be. I just I keep forgetting because Jacksonville is a shithole. Uh, dot com. Uh, but <laughs> there are multiple teams in There's Florida. Tampa, Miami, and Jacksonville. So mm-hmm. I would put that there's a higher likelihood Philip Rivers goes and plays in Jacksonville because Jacksonville is a place that Philip Rivers would be inclined to go. Um, as I, opposed I would to, say I would I would counter that by Jacksonville has no cap space. They ain't signing anybody. Well, now, they they dump a bunch of players and then they sign. They they could, but like still, even like Miami right now has the first, the most cap space out of their top fifty-one. They've got ninety, almost ninety-four million dollars in cap space, and the Colts are second. Yeah, the Colts are second with eighty-six million, Mm -hmm. and then Tampa Bay is third with eighty-five, almost eighty-five million. So like, if I'm picking a Florida team to go to, it's either Miami or Tampa Bay, and quite Uh honestly. I would almost say that Philip Rivers makes more sense in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians because Bruce Arians is a gunslinger. He likes to to take risks and, yeah. and make big plays. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to Tampa Bay. Um, I don't I, – I have a hard time seeing him go to Miami just because Miami's been all in on Tua. And if I'm this coach in this franchise, I'm going to take Tua at, at five or if they're smart – if they have to, they'll trade up to three with Detroit – from Detroit, you know, I'm trying to get that that deal made to to get Miami up to three. Um, probably if if I'm those teams, I'm trying to get that done right after the league year starts. So then there's no no mystery about it, and Miami can lock in that number three pick and mm-hmm. not have to worry about another team jumping up and, and getting over them. 
on draft day. Um, that that's actually how I would how I would go about this process. But Miami is going to take a quarterback. You take Tua, and you just let the team run with Fitzmagic for another year. Let him suck again. Miami <laughs> at the bottom of the the pile because Tua is probably not playing this year. Like right, no. And so you let him suck. You get another top five pick. You know, maybe you're you're down in top top three, and then you trade out for a team that needs a quarterback with you know uh, Lawrence there and Fields. So Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, like you've got those two quarterbacks that are probably going to be you know one two. Somebody wants one of those quarterbacks. They're going to pay RG three like ransom to get up there. You know, you can recoup. Like Miami could theoretically trade five and 26. I think it's the other one that they have five and 26 and move up to three. Hmm. They make sure they get their quarterback. They give up a a late first round pick that they got this year. They don't give up any extra picks next year. And that's probably roughly the same value that the Colts got from the, from the uh, jets moving from six to three. Well, there you go. And so it's not not exactly the same value because it's a little bit the Colts drop to six. You know, Miami at this point is picking five, so that you don't have to worry about it as much. But at the same time, you're like, all right, you know, if, if I'm Detroit, this makes all the sense in the world. Like, there is no reason that I would not want to make this trade because I know the Giants are taking either an offensive tackle or a defensive or like a a um, linebacker, Isaiah Simmons, or an offensive tackle, mm-hmm. they're not taking Nokuda. And so I'm Detroit. I pick up an extra first-round pick, and I still get my guy. Right. Seems like a no-brainer decision to me. Right. And that, of course, will continue to unfold as we you know, kind of move forward. We're here in, the, in what we, we were kind of talking about before the podcast as – the NFL's moratorium, you know, as we kind of sit in the afterglow of the Super Bowl, uh, and there really isn't a lot going on uh, until about the 23rd of February. Uh, and then I looked it up, uh, counting down today, 218 days until the NFL uh, regular season 2020 starts uh, in a game uh, the Chiefs will host. But yeah, I mean, we've we're here about an hour and forty minutes in. Want to make sure that if you're not following us on Twitter, that you find me at Likely Alien L I K E L Y A L I E N. Find Stephen Reed at Nice R E E D Steve S T E V E on the Twitter machine, and also our podcast has its own Twitter at pod pancake right because afternoon pancakes it's a pot it's a podcast and make sure that you rate our podcast when you listen to it when we get it this this podcast isn't all about the colts uh but we're in the off season it's a slow news cycle for almost every organization right now uh really only colts related news is the colts hired a couple coaches so we should probably talk about that right yeah. Uh, as far as I know, uh, both these coaches are 
have prior relationships with Colts coaches, right? So like these are these are people familiar with uh, Frank Wright, Chris Ballard, right? Uh, Brian Baker. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say it's Brian Baker. As the the reports are that the Colts are leaning towards hiring Brian Baker as the new assistant defensive line coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know whether that would be their actual defensive line coach or whether they're just signing, hiring him to be the assistant defensive line coach. Assistant. Um, and so I, I still uh, do they have a defensive line coach right now? I don't know. Let's look it up. Um, yeah. So anyway, the other the other one is the the Colts have hired Mike Grow, uh, who is a former Eagles offensive coordinator uh, when they won the Super Bowl uh, with Frank Wright. Um, so he's also worked um, with Frank Wright at different locations. Mike Grow, uh, they hired him, I believe, as the wide receivers coach. Yep. Um, and they moved the current wide receivers coach to passing game coordinator, mm-hmm. uh, which is a similar position that that coach had held at other places. And Mike Rowe uh, is a pretty good wide receiver coach. So I'm excited to see that kind of growth, what they can go with from the coaching position. Uh, Brian Baker uh, has experience at Alabama. He's got a lot of a lot of uh, NFL coaching experience as well. He also coached at Mississippi State, I believe. So he coached Justin Simmons, um, Montez Sweat, um, and uh, and Chris Jones. Yeah, I think Chris Jones was a Mississippi State guy. There I think go. about that. Um, so, hey, hey, there's your tie-in right there. There's your tie-in juicy, right there. Juicy rumor. Let's start. Oh, yeah. We'll get uh, and on. Fair we'll run is the Colts defensive line coach. Oh, no. Fair is leaving to go to Carolina. Oh, did, did that already happen? Uh, I don't know if it already happened, but that was what was reported, is that he was moving. Oh, he did. He went to the Carolina Panthers as the defensive DL coach. Yeah. So... Hmm. I wonder who was the assistant. Who was yeah, assistant? Colts. Assistant. Defensive. And coach. Yeah, like you had Chris Strausser as the, the offensive line coach, and then you have uh, Clayton Adams, who is an assistant offensive line coach. So I wonder if they're actually hiring baker as the defensive line coach um so that's that's the question um yeah so here's the thing they don't have uh they didn't have a defensive line assistant and don't have currently a defensive line line coach. They don't have an assistant, and they don't currently have uh, a coach for their defensive line, which kind of which would kind of tell you that would be crazy though. Uh, that guy comes back, and then they get Chris Jones. Right. That'd be oddly prophetic. But mm. also, like, kind of matches up with things that they've done so far, right? Like, it, it would kind of. Mm. It makes sense well, to go to a winning team and see, hey, that was your strength. I want that, right? And see if you can bottle that and bring it over to, to your... To add this, he coached at Alabama, and so he's got a lot of experience with 
like Raquan Davis, uh, who's a defensive tackle at Alabama that's in this year's draft. There you um, go. The, the Alabama defensive line has always been one of its strong suits. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the things like there's there's certain position groups in college football that really kind of stand out. Like you've got the LSU defensive backs are always really good. The Ohio State defensive backs. You've got the Alabama and Mississippi State defensive line. You have the Notre Dame offensive line. Like those are always very well coached groups. And so you see CNFL teams trying to pluck it. Chicago back a couple of years ago plucked the Notre Dame offensive line coach um, the, to, to be the offensive line coach for their staff. And so you, you'll see these things happen, and you just kind of hope that they're able to translate into the NFL where everybody's an NFL prospect versus in the college where recruiting matters and the athletes matter more than necessarily the scheme um, outside of a, a – place like navy or air force where it is all scheme um mm. so yeah i was just looking at uh a lot of the people that we're talking about um haven't yet really been tied to the cold so it's really it's just really interesting to talk through uh, these hires, for example, and say, oh, look at their connection uh, prior or look at what that could mean for the Colts drafting a guy, picking up a guy in free agency, given their prior relationships, uh, seems like a smart play. And hell, it could mean both, right? Uh, it could mean the Colts go get Chris Jones and then draft. I even forget who the guy was from Alabama. Uh, that's in this draft. That Raquan you, Davis. Raquan Davis, and then draft and have them yeah. both. Um, the the Brian Baker one, because I'm trying to go back to see if whether we missed it as saying that they were going to hire him as the defensive line coach or the assistant defensive line coach. Uh, according to Alex Marvez, um, uh, the sources told SiriusXM NFL that the Colts were learning to hire Brian Baker as their new assistant defensive line coach. So. It's interesting that they don't have a defensive line coach yet, but they're hiring the assistant defensive line coach. Right. Yep. That was all I had on that. I, I just wanted to confirm that that it was the assistant defensive line coach and not. Yeah, that's what it says. Yeah. So we'll we'll actually we'll even do research on that because you know it's just like you said if there was no one to step into Mike Fair's position and then you hired an assistant you hired the number two with no number one because the number one just walked mm-hmm. right it's so like it hiring it's like what happened with Eberflus honestly like you hire the defensive coordinator without the head coach but that's because some the the head coach slithered away went back into his hole. No, he didn't. He's a scourge upon the Chicago Bears defense. So. They backslid. No. I was talking about McDaniels. Oh, I was talking about Pagano. <laughs> yeah, that's why I thought it was. Uh, I knew who you were talking about. I didn't to confuse our listeners. That's it's, funny. Yeah, no, Pagano is fan. I, I like Pagano as a person. It sucks that his defense is terrible this past year, and he's wasting Khalil Mack. Um, Which is crazy. It is what it is. <laughs> Pagano gonna Pagano. Absolutely. But yeah, I think that's probably a good place to kind of let you guys go. Uh, again, we're kind of in the middle of this this NFL moratorium where 
Uh, we're sitting in the in the afterglow of the Super Bowl, looking ahead at the combine, uh, and we've even got a couple more uh, podcast episodes to deliver to you uh, before the combine. So looking minimum actually probably three uh, before the before the actual combine. So we didn't want to go too hard on it as a subject because we of course want to be able to go over that with you uh, in the future. Uh, and like we've said, hey, uh, th- we thank you for listening to us. Those of you that do, we thank you for rating our podcast. That will help us be seen by those who haven't already. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Google Play, uh, iTunes, um, or whether you just get it straight from the link we post uh, to Stampede Blue. We certainly appreciate every every one of you. Uh, if you if you feel compelled, share us. Uh, and this has been episode thirty one of Afternoon Pancakes. Have a good day, everybody.